Welcome once again to Lato's Law. Here's Steve Lato. I had a whole bunch of people send me this story because, of course, the Christmas season is upon us. And uh, it's from Fox News. Hannah Ray Lambert wrote it. The Christmas lawyer who went to war with his HOA is now facing another fight with the Idaho State Bar. So why the lawyer who saved Christmas could face disbarment after his battle with the HOA over holiday decorations is what the story is all about. Now, whether he could actually face disbarment, I think that's extreme. But whether he's at war with an HOA, yeah, we can see that. And in fact, a lot of people here would be rooting for him. (laughs) So uh, the attorney who calls himself the Christmas lawyer and gained international notoriety for staging elaborate holiday programs at his house in defiance of his homeowners association said he's facing another Grinch now, and that would be the Idaho State Bar. Uh, They've made it clear they're going to protect their friends, in this case a federal judge, says the attorney, speaking to Fox News. But the problem is attorneys have the freedom of speech. Now, the bar notified the man earlier this year that it had found probable cause to proceed with formal charges against him after he accused a judge of corruption and bigotry for overturning the jury verdict he got in his favor. And that right there is also a very, very interesting legal angle. And the story is quite lengthy. I'm going to do what I can to summarize this and also get to the legal part of this. Because the man won a jury trial, but the judge reversed that finding. And uh, we'll talk about what that actually means. But his story began several Christmases back. He's been obsessed with the holidays, in particular Christmas, and accompanying fanfare for as long as his parents can remember. Uh, He took over decorating the family's Los Angeles home back in the 90s, staying up past any reasonable bedtime to string tens of thousands of lights on the roof. Then in 2014, when he had a family of his own, was living in Idaho, he repaired an antique cotton candy machine he'd inherited from his grandfather and made it the centerpiece of his Christmas display. He created a Facebook event and was shocked when hundreds of families showed up to look at the lights, sip hot chocolate, and meet Santa Claus. But was the cotton candy machine working? It doesn't say. He decided that next year had to be even bigger. Family found what they called their dream house just outside the city of Hayden and put it in an offer. Uh, And uh, he says that he immediately called the president of the Neighborhood Homeowners Association to give them a heads up about his plan to display for the following Christmas. I reached out and said, hey, look, we're going to do this thing. Maybe you have some ideas. I'm thinking maybe doing shuttles because there aren't sidewalks. What do you think? And he said that he approached them in a very cordial way. He says the call sparked a legal battle, still being waged nearly a decade later. In response to the plans, one of the Homeowners Association board members drafted a letter that questioned whether neighborhood atheists might be offended by the display and worried about riffraff that might be drawn to the neighborhood, noting that the family previously lived near a Walmart. Um... Those are both odd concerns. The version, however, was never sent, but emerged later in court. But the official letter he got uh, changed atheists to non-Christians and riffraff to possible undesirables. (laughs) I don't know if that helps or not. The letter also outlined three sections of the covenants, conditions, and restrictions that they believed his program would violate. They said the magnitude of the event was well beyond normal residential use, that noise that is offensive or interferes with the quiet enjoyment of any neighbor is prohibited, and that lighting should be restrained in its design and avoid excessive brightness. The board expressed further concerns over traffic. They closed by noting that they didn't wish to become entwined in expensive litigation. 
to enforce longstanding rules. And he said, I realize I don't fight back, and I'm a lawyer, you know. Who would? I was in this position to actually take a stand for Christmas. That's why I became the lawyer who basically fought for and saved Christmas. So I, <laughs> he said that. I became the lawyer who basically fought for and saved Christmas. So in case you're curious who saved Christmas, it's this guy. He started decorating his house with around 700,000 lights. He started months before Christmas. Then the HOA's lawyer demanded he remove them within 10 days, and he refused. The next thing that happened is this became an international phenomenon. The spotlight, however, didn't just happen to fall on him. He contacted Fox News and other outlets with the primetime story. Despite the threat of the lawsuit, the show went on, complete with a live nativity scene. Carolers and even a camel, a camel, hired shuttle buses, dropped off thousands of revelers with some families coming from Washington and Canada over the course of the five-evening event, which raised funds for children's charities. Now, here's the thing. If I lived next door to this extravaganza, I would not have liked it. It has nothing to do with whether I like Christmas or don't like Christmas. It has nothing to do with that. And I will tell you in the name of full disclosure, I was raised in a family that celebrated Christmas. We had a Christmas tree. It was decorated. We may have even put lights outside the house. But I drive through some neighborhoods and some towns where I see somebody who's gone full bore, talking about literally a display that must have taken a week to put up and must take a week to take down. And I drive by those houses and I look at them and go, okay, you know, um, the real question is, if you lived next door to this and it was lit up all night, would that somehow upset you? Would it somehow interfere with your ability to have quiet enjoyment of your own property? These are potential things because he's saying that he had a camel. I'm assuming they mean a live camel. And shuttle loads of people coming by. And suddenly it's beyond just a bunch of lights on a house. So that to me, does put you into the area where you can question this. But the following year, the feud reached a boiling point, according to the man. He, along with several attendees, accused neighbors of harassing people near his house. He said a bus driver also accused a resentful resident of repeatedly trying to stage an accident when shuttles passed by. Now, two neighbors denied the latter allegation in a documentary called Twas the Fight Before Christmas. (laughs) He said his family received threats including an in-person confrontation partially caught on camera in which a neighbor offered to take care of him. He paints the HOA as a group of liberal atheists who are bigoted against Christians. Uh, The HOA's current leaders did not respond to a request for comment on this story, but in the Apple documentary, they denied those claims. The original HOA president was married to a pastor. She resigned before the 2015 Christmas show, pushed to the brink of a nervous breakdown, she says, from this man harassing her, according to the documentary. Neighbors portrayed the Christmas lawyer as a deranged bully who was hostile from the get-go, secretly recording conversations, some of which were later used as evidence, and began fanatically documenting other HOA members' alleged rule violations. He said he never wanted to take legal action and offered to waive his rights to proceed with a lawsuit if the HOA agreed to leave his family alone. HOA refused, he said, and the statute of limitations was almost up. So two years after receiving the first letter, He sued, alleging religious discrimination and violation of the Fair Housing Act. The jury returned a unanimous decision in his favor and ordered the HOA to pay $75,000. But here's the thing that's going to upset a lot of people. The story doesn't end there because the federal judge who was hearing the case reversed the jury's verdict and ordered him to pay the HOA's legal fees 
to the tune of $111,000. Now, what you need to know, I've talked before, is that if you file a lawsuit against somebody, I'm talking about just a, a series of actions here. If I file a lawsuit against you that is groundless, okay, let's suppose I file, I, I, you, I'm talking to you. <laughs> I want to say right now, Steve, my name is, okay? I file a lawsuit that says, you came by my house in a helicopter last night and um, bombarded my house with uh, turkeys, just like the WKRP uh, stunt, and it, it, it injured me and hurt my house. And I'm suing you for that. And you go, Steve, I live in Australia. I have, I have viewers in Australia. Steve, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in Austria. I've got viewers there too. Steve, I, I live in Hawaii. Uh, I don't own a helicopter. Never been to Michigan. Never been to Michigan. If you can go into court and say, never been to Michigan, this obviously couldn't be me, then a judge can look at this and go, okay, there's nothing to try here because this case is groundless. And you hear about groundless cases being filed all the time, especially by uh, prisoners who've got nothing better to do sitting in jail, just drafting up lawsuits and just suing everybody under the sun because if nothing else, they get to have three minutes of fame each time their lawsuit gets thrown out. Let's just suppose that I filed a lawsuit against you that said, you defrauded me and owe me money, period. It's the entire lawsuit, one sentence. You defrauded me and owe me money. Many states say that you must plead fraud with specificity, including all of the underlying facts. So you would then file a motion for a more definite statement. And if I said, no, that's all I'm going to tell you, a judge will throw that out for failure to state a claim. Because fraud might be a, state, a claim you can state, but you need to state it more clearly. Okay, so if there's a legal deficiency in the lawsuit itself, it can be thrown out. But let's suppose that the case overcomes that hurdle and makes it to the edge of trial. Okay, parties can, after the other side's put in their proof, ask the court to dismiss the case then, because despite the fact that they put in all these proofs, it still doesn't reach the necessary threshold to win. And that's less common. It's called a directed verdict, but I've seen it happen, where a plaintiff comes into court, puts in all their proofs, and they rest. And the defendant stands up, counsel stands up and says, Your Honor, they had no testimony on this one particular element that's necessary. And the judge looks to the other side and goes, What do you say about that? And they go, Well, Your Honor, we thought that was in this one person's testimony. Didn't they say this? No one heard that. Pull the transcript. No one said that. Guess what? It's a fatal deficiency. Case gets thrown out. They bring the jury back in and apologize. Say, we understand you guys sat through a trial, but, but it turns out there's nothing for you guys to, to render a verdict on. So directed verdict. And so that's another thing that can happen to get a case thrown out. The final thing is a JNOV, which stands roughly as judgment notwithstanding the verdict. So if a jury returns a verdict that the other side doesn't like, they can ask the judge to overturn it. But to overturn it usually requires extreme facts or literally the jury ignoring the law to the point where they do something that's impossible, okay? And so we've seen this many times where they lower the verdict, but don't throw it out entirely, and that's a concept called remitter, another story altogether. But the point is that if you file a lawsuit against somebody, go, they owe me $10,000. And at trial, they admit, they go, yeah, we owe him $10,000. And the jury comes back and awards a trillion dollars the judge can go, well, you're entitled to $10,000. we are going to knock the trillion-dollar award down to $10,000. That's a, that's a remitter. 
However, if the jury returns a verdict that seems to be legally impossible, then the judge can overturn it. Now, here's the question. You might say, but Steve, shouldn't the judge have spotted that they were asking for an impossible verdict from a jury before the jury deliberated? And the answer is probably. But many judges will let something like that go to a jury because if the jury returns no verdict or you know, um, a no cause of action or whatever it's called in your, in your jurisdiction, where the jury comes back and goes, we find nothing for the plaintiff, zero, nothing. Well, in that case, it makes the appeal much more difficult because you're appealing a jury verdict as opposed to the judge making a ruling. However, if the judge is thinking, boy, this thing should not go to the jury, but I'm going to let it go to the jury just in case, jury comes back and finds for the guy, the judge can now say, well, I still think that this was not something that the jury could find, therefore I'm spinning it around. However, I'm going to let you know this right now. You can take something up on appeal. If your case gets thrown on a summary judgment, or if it gets a JNOV, or it gets a directed verdict, or any of these things, you can appeal them. And the guy will have a decent appeal, because on its face, the first like three or four sentences of the appeal are going to be, plaintiff filed this lawsuit, and a jury returned a verdict in his favor. And the judge turned that around. Like, and so that's why we're here. And anytime you hear that a, a jury awarded a fairly decent-sized thing to the plaintiff, and the judge turned that around, people are going to wonder, even the courts on appeal. However, that happened, and then it continued. But the judge concluded the case wasn't about religious discrimination, but rather the family's violation of neighborhood rules. And he says that the uh, family failed to provide facts that were a legally sufficient basis upon which a reasonable jury could conclude the HOA violated the Fair Housing Act. So he's saying the facts weren't there. And so if that's true, again, he could have done a directed verdict before it went to the jury. The judge said the secret recordings the man made of his neighbors often showed him acting aggressively confrontational and in one case threatening to use the code to go after his neighbor's dogs. The judge's order permanently banned the family from holding another Christmas program that violated the HOA rules. So the family appealed, and in June of 2020, their case went before the Ninth Circuit. Three and a half years later, they've still not received a decision. In the meantime, this man's not been quiet about this, and in late 2021, he filed a judicial misconduct claim alleging that the judge struck down testimony from the majority of his witnesses. He says the judge also refused to dismiss a juror who admitted to being prejudiced in favor of HOA rules and against homeowners, according to court transcripts, though the attorney said his attorney eventually used one of their strikes to have that juror removed. The particular judge attempted to cancel Christmas, the lawyer said. It's no different than what King Herod did 2,000 years ago when he tried to stop the very first Christmas. Now, the judge declined to comment on that, but now the Idaho State Bar has stepped in. In January, a bar representative wrote to the man asking about several statements he made about the judge on social media and in the Apple TV documentary. Apparently, he called the judge corrupt and a hateful anti-Christian bigot who attempted to rig a jury. Calling a judge, or an attorney for that matter, corrupt is a problem. If you look up the word corrupt in the dictionary, it means having or showing a willingness to act dishonestly in return for money or personal gain. And so that is an insinuation that the judge 
uh, is susceptible to bribery or that he rules unfairly uh, and to suggest he's a bigot. Uh, those things, if true, would be a problem. And I've told this to people before that if you want to say something about somebody not getting in trouble, stick to insults, but avoid things that could be considered statements of fact. So if I walk up to somebody and go, boy, that person's ugly. It's an opinion. I, you know, I, I, I think some things are ugly other people think are beautiful. It's an opinion. But if I go, that person there is corrupt, that's more than an opinion. That's attacking the character of the person and the one quality that would make them ineligible to be a judge. And the guy's a federal judge. So that's a problem. So then in August, another Idaho State Bar rep wrote to this man's attorney stating that the bar found probable cause to proceed with formal charges under Idaho's professional conduct rule that prohibits a lawyer from making a statement that he knows to be false or with reckless disregard as to its truth or falsity concerning the qualifications or integrity of a judge. There's a specific rule on point. You cannot make these kinds of statements about judges. I can tell you that years ago, Jeffrey Figer, a well-known attorney in Michigan, got very, very upset with some judges on appeal. And he goes, there are a bunch of mollusks and squirrels. Mollusks and squirrels. And a lot of people got bent out of shape. And people who ask me, you know, Steve, what do you think of that? I said, it's funny. They're obviously not mollusks. They're obviously not squirrels. But those are insults. They couldn't factually be true. So, (laughs) the bar offered to dismiss the disciplinary case. The attorney gave up his Idaho legal license, according to correspondence shared with Fox News. Bar counsel noted that the attorney has moved out of state and the pending disciplinary grievance has affected his ability to gain employment in his new home. Uh, The attorney called the offer a shakedown. Officials from the state bar declined to confirm whether disciplinary action was still being considered, nor would they answer any other questions from Fox News. Meanwhile, the attorney maintains that his corruption accusation is true and that he has a right to express his opinions. He points to a case from the 1990s in which an attorney blasted a judge as a right-wing fanatic, anti-Semitic, and an ignorant, dishonest, ill-tempered bully. The Ninth Circuit held that the speech was protected and the attorney did not commit sanctionable conduct. But again, right-wing fanatic sounds like a Description of some of these political beliefs. Um, Anti-Semitic, however, could be a problem, but I guess they said that wasn't. And ignorant, dishonest, ill-tempered, and I guess they considered dishonest to be so vague that it didn't attack the integrity of the judge. But he says, the law says that even as an attorney, I do not lose the freedom of speech in this country to speak about things, particularly about corruption. Corruption. So he isn't hosting a Christmas extravaganza this year, but recently purchased a large property and is planning an even bigger epic display next year. Said he had zero regrets about the way he treated his former neighbors. I'm so proud of the stand that I took and the opportunity I've been given to people who hate me, who hate my family, who hate my beliefs, to turn the other cheek. I would do it again. Um, I like Christmas. Again, I've mentioned before that that's what my family did and still does, by the way. And um, if some guy literally next door to me put up a display so large you could see it from space, and started shuttling people in on shuttle buses so they could mill around on his front lawn, pet the camel, and watch the live nativity scene into all hours in the days preceding Christmas. That hubbub and commotion itself is not Christmas. It's celebrating Christmas, but to say that you're against a hubbub and commotion 
on the property next door in your neighborhood that used to be quiet doesn't make you anti-Christmas. Now, I know people who say, Steve, it's my property, I can do anything I want with it. And that's, that's a great argument until you realize that you're in an HOA. And then all bets are off. What do the HOA rules say? That's always going to be a concern. But the other thing is, again, it all depends on your neighbors, how the houses are situated, how close they are together. I don't know how close these houses are to each other. Okay? So if, if, I, if the houses are close together and I look out the front window and 20 feet away is a camel, full-size camel, and a live nativity display, and shuttle buses coming and going, I can see somebody going, I don't care. I like Christmas. I just don't like that. And so I, I have a little bit of a difficult time with this guy describing himself as, as trying to save Christmas, as if what happens on his front lawn in Idaho affects me somehow. It doesn't. It affects his neighbors, and it affects the other members of his HOA. So apparently there's not been a ruling yet from the Court of Appeals on this. But it's an interesting legal situation. Because the jury came back in his favor. And the judge spun it around and said, nope, goes this way. And the Court of Appeals might say that was inappropriate. But they haven't ruled yet. So thanks to everybody who sent it. Fox News, Hannah Ray Lambert, Christmas lawyer, went to war with his HOA, is now facing another fight with the Idaho State Bar. And I do hope that you had a Merry Christmas, a Happy Festivus, a great winter solstice, and whatever it else is that you might celebrate. If you don't celebrate and you choose not to, that is your right as well. And I hope you just simply had a wonderful weekend. Until then, we talk next. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Leto's Law. The happiest of all lives is a busy solitude.